0: Before we get into the message, I want to start with a proverb. Today being the second, I, I chose a verse out of chapter seven, verse seven. The Lord stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. Okay. 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 So, <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's move right into the word. So last week, if you were here, um, you know we handed you out a sin list. <laughs> I got mine with me right here still. Remember, I asked you to fold it up, keep it in your pocket, and every once in a while, talk to the Lord and say, this isn't where you sign up for sins, by the way, right? Okay, and it was not complete. It's just this list of things that, that maybe the Holy Spirit might speak to us about, something he might be talking to us about. We've been in this series talking about being available in our hearts to change that the Lord would maybe want to, to, to do in us and in individual, individual people. Scripture tells us that that, that a man does right in his own eyes, but that that pathway leads to destruction. In other words, we all kind of are doing what we think is the right thing to do, or what we want to be the right thing to do, so we do that. But sometimes, many times, maybe most times, maybe all the time, if we go on that pathway, the one of our own choosing, it leads to bad stuff. So um, we're, we, we, we basically look at that and say, you know what, so we need to change. But how do we change if what we do is what we think is right? We need the Holy Spirit's Help, and that's what the list was about. And we're in the middle of this series, and so I hope that you've um, had some wonderful tender moments between you and the Holy Spirit this week, where um, the Holy Spirit maybe has whispered something into your heart about repentance. Repentance is the very—it's the way out of any ditch that you fall into look out there, speaking of falling into something, um, it's the first place. It's the place to start. It is always, um, the very first step in any move forward you want to make with God, it starts with repentance. And that's a very old Testament sounding word. And the picture that it conjures up is some guy with a hood and a sickle yelling, repent or die, you know, and that's not what the word is talking about. And we're going to explore it a little bit more. So we provided that sin list and, um, the reason for that is not to hammer anybody down. In fact, Scripture says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So it's not about condemning anybody. It's just about saying, where, where are the areas that maybe the Lord would talk? Because sin leads to suffering. It just does. And when the Lord says to you, don't do something, he's telling you, don't hurt yourself. Don't, don't do that. And um, I watched Lisa. Lisa and I were helping somebody um, yesterday assemble cabinets for their house. You know, you buy cabinets. I have a real appreciation for mechanical engineers because how they figure out how to make things fit together and then go in that box. But you got to pound on stuff and twice. How's your hand doing, honey? You have the she she hit her she hit her finger twice with a hammer with kind of a mallet. And I'm so immature. (laughs) She'd hit herself and go ow, and I would say, "Don't do that. That hurts." You know. I didn't do that, though. There was something smart that came over me. But but that's what God is saying when he says sin. Don't do that. That hurts. You're hurting yourself. Though so That's why we talk about sin. And the way forward um, with God is repentance. And today our message, uh, the message is going to end with a, a, a minute at the Lord's table. So I think... Um, you know my goal my prayer for where we 're going today is that the Lord is going to speak to us individually and give us some clarity about some things in our own lives that that the Lord would want to shape and and to do that so I, I want to open this with prayer about that topic. Would you just agree with me and let me pray over you? Lord, just immerse us just just like in those baptisms with an ability to see the things that you see so that Lord when you when you would talk to us, that our hearts would become tender and pliable in your fingers, trusting you, Lord, to, to reshape us the way that you would want to do it, how you see fit. Yeah. And Lord, I'm thinking of the, the word your words in Second Timothy, where you basically teach us that repentance is something that you grant to us. It's, you, you please grant repentance to us, today, Lord. It's moving our hearts. I, I pray, Lord, that there's something of true repentance in matters that hinder us, Lord, would somehow take root, Lord, f- in, in ways that maybe we are hurting our marriage or hurting our family or our future. Lord, would you, would, you, would you give us and forgive us a tendency to always maybe see, you know, what our sister is doing or what our spouse is doing, and, and instead, Lord, to be able to focus upon our heart, our, uh, what's in me. And, Lord, to be released from a tendency sometimes to blame the people around us and to focus in other words. Would you lift that kind of, and, and help us, uh, help us over, also overcome, Lord, a fear that if I repent somehow, it's like me showing my weaknesses and it's going to hurt me. Lord, just lift that, that silliness out of our soul. Because when we step forward towards you with repentance, I know that that's an advancement of your purposes for us and for our family and for our future. So do, Lord, what only you can do. Help us have faith to follow you and to lead you, to, to, to believe you in this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to take a quick um, review of last week because we talked about repentance last week, and um, repentance is the first step in all change. We talked about that, and, and uh, if anytime you're going to move forward with, with God, it always starts with repentance and you know I think one of the reasons that um, so many people aren't truly saved is because they took some fast Formula, you know, quick approach to salvation. You know, hey, do you want Jesus? Yeah. Hey, do you want to go to heaven? Well, of course, who wouldn't? Well, okay, say, you know, re- repeat this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I love you. Come into my heart, Amen. And you know, but there's no repentance. And repentance is, you know, where we turn from sin. We turn from what's in our own way. We turn from our own failures, and um, we turn from the breaking of God's laws as best we can. And and Scripture teaches that there's no forgiveness of sins without repentance. First uh, John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all of all sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It, it, and, and I think that a lot of people who would portent to be saved today are really not because there has never been any true repentance in their soul. You know, sal- salvation, calling on the name of Jesus. Scripture says all who call in the name of Jesus will be saved. It's not an incanta- incantation. It's not a magic form. Um, formula that you just sprinkle it upon your future and if you say these words check mark that is not what salvation is the word repent that's that we have repent is translated out of scripture from the greek as metaneo it means rethinking it means to change your mind it's like detecting and figuring out and destroying you know the rationalization that was originally in place in your heart that led to the sin you know, in order to sin, I have to convince myself that something that's ugly is beautiful. In, in order to sin, I have to convince myself that something that's destructive is going to be helpful. In in order to sin, I have to convince myself that something that has dire consequences aren't going to apply to me in this instance. It's just, you know, it's um, it's distorted thinking and it allows me to make bad choices and you know we say i uh, this will work out you know this this will make me happy in the long run this you know this will get me to a better life i want this it's good for me and, and it advances you know we, we tell ourselves these things but it, it's not going to do that it will not it cannot and and when we realize that that's really not going to work out that's what repentance is so repentance is the first step in all change. The second, th- second thing we spent time on last week, repentance is not easy. It's not easy. That's, you know, why so many Christians get trapped in this cycle where we would sin and then do it again and then sin and then do it again. It's just not easy. And. Um, uh, here, you know, we go around and around, people just don't truly repent. So we spent some time, I'm going to look at it again, Second Corinthians 7, starting in verse 8. I believe that little section there, a couple of passages there, is the most concentrated teaching in all of Scripture on the topic of repentance. Um, Paul's teaching in verse 8, says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, this is a letter he's talking, he's talking here about a previous letter he wrote to a church, okay? So, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. That's preacher talk. He's basically saying, you know, like, for example, after a message like this today where I'm being fairly direct with something that's not like, hey, let's talk about repenting. You wouldn't bring that up at dinner table. You talk about the mariners or something, but we don't, you know, we don't normally gravitate to. So a message like this that can kind of feel um, like I'm kind of getting up in your grill, and I don't, maybe I am, I don't know. But I love you. So Paul's, this is preacher talk, he's going, you know, I wrote you that last letter, and I could see that it was pretty serious stuff, um, and uh, so for I even, I, I made you grieve, I grieved you with my letter, but I don't regret it, but I did regret it, but it only grieved you for a while, so it's only, that's basically what he's saying here. And so this was a problem back then, and it's a problem today in the North American church too, because you know, nobody wants to grieve anybody. it's true I mean I mean everybody just wants kind of for the most part they just want church to be a pep talk you know make me feel good and get me through till Sunday night you know just let me get a notch in my belt for the week and but church has to be more than that it has to be you know I have to be willing to lovingly grieve you and you have to be willing to be grieved by me because if we're going to get to a better place as sons and daughters of the king, we have to be willing to go to a deeper place. And many times to go to a deeper place, that means we're going to go to a little bit of a harder place. But if it's in love, it's okay. And I'm telling you what, you are being bathed in love here. I mean, I hope you feel that. I hope you understand that. Because I don't think any of you need to have another church check mark on your belt. <laughs> Might make us feel better for the day, but... It's not really helped anybody. So Paul says, verse 9, As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, because that wasn't any fun, but because you were grieved into repenting. There's the goal. He's saying into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, because there's different kinds of grief. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. So it wasn't a waste of time. There was no foolish wasted here. It's worth the effort. Verse 10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation, Without regret. There's so much going on there. Um, salvation, yes, but you know all of the subsequent decisions of life, you know, to be cleansed of all my unrighteousness and to be sanctified and changed into what the king wants to shape Terry into or to be the man or woman that God wants us to be, you know, salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Do you see there's a cont- contrast here between um, what he go- he calls godly grief, and worldly grief. We're going to talk about that a little bit. There's a difference. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment at every point you have proved yourselves innocent to the matter. So if we were going to go through the words here um, that Paul uses, he lays out some of the effects that we see of repentance. You know, And it's a, a big problem, a big problem for, um, you know, in marriage or any relationships or friendships is that when we sin we, you know it it violates that relationship we have a tendency to hurt the people around us and 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 you know if I fail you and we 're in a relationship you 're going to have this natural question comes up in your heart you don 't have to anybody teach you this. this is just something that happens in us and 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 so we th- say to us, okay you've hurt me." Um, I want to go forward in this relationship, but I have this question now. Can I trust you, right? That's the question everybody wants to know. You've been hurt by somebody who you love and who loves you and you want to go forward. Ouch, that hurt. I want to go forward, but can I trust you? And the way we, fa- we want to find that answer, human nature, I think the Lord hardwired it. We want to look into their eyes and see... Are you really repentant? Have you had a change in your mind and in your heart from what allowed you to do what you did that hurt me in the first place? Are you different? That's what repentance means, to change. That's an important question. And uh, now I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that particular example today because this is not a message about is somebody else repentant? (laughs) This is a message about are you repentant? And um, you can know You can know if somebody else is repentant, and you can know whether you are repentant because there are some things that accompany being repentant, okay? So we're going to talk about that. Here are a few things that we'll find in the text here, Um, six things that accompany genuine repentance, okay? So the first one is this, personal grief over sin. Personal grief, is there some personal grief? Now that word that we see in here um, that's translated as grief, lupeo, it gets used, okay, here's my pastor nerd thing, you know, I want to start dissecting and do number counts. Okay, there's, it's used 26 times in the New Testament. Half of the times that it's used in the New Testament happen, to hap- happen here in, in, this past, in, in, in this book, 2 Corinthians. And then of those half, half of those are in this passage. So this is right here in this little passage, 25% of the entire description of, of the um, feelings that, that accompany genuine repentance are right here, packed in here. And this grief, this word grief, you know, this internal hurting, it, it literally means soul anguish. Okay? It's, it's what the disciples felt when Jesus announced to them as a group, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna die a terrible death on the cross." When he explained that to them, they had this soul anguish. That's what grief means. Okay, another example there's another, if, if you're a student of the word, you know the, the parable of the rich young ruler and what must I do to be saved? And Jesus explained it to him, and he went away with soul anguish because he just couldn't let go of his stuff. Okay, so um, one is personal grief. The second one is um, repulsion towards sin. A person who's truly repented feels repulsion, feels repelled by what used to attract. Okay, there's some of it. I'm not going to tell you how much of it. I don't want to measure that for you or tell you that. But you know, the, you, you'll st- just have strong feelings of opposition. Verse 11. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, and um, that's the idea of hatred. You know, it used to rouse me, but but now it repulses me. You know, it, it used to engage me, but now it just you know it it makes me ticked off. I want to be. I want anything to do with it. I used to have to have it, but now I kind of despise it. I just don't. My mind has been cleared. And I see it for what it, is, it was. You know. You know. It was destroying my marriage. You know. It was inflaming these wrong desires in my children. It was. You know. You can think of up your your examples. It was destroying my relationships. And sin then is doing what sin does. It eats. It's it eats a pathway of death through our lives, and destroys everything in its path. Okay, so there's. One genuine repentance. There's grief over sin. Two repulsion over sin. Number three. I'm going to move fast through this. Restitution towards others. Number four. Eagerness to clear yourselves. You know, this this word repentance in the New King James. It's translated as the word vindication. In the NIV, they translate it as readiness to see justice done. It's this energetic pursuit to um, you know to fix. The fallout from the sin. When a person is really repenting, when they're really repenting, their feet start in motion. They start moving towards the one that they've hurt to try to somehow fix it. And as long as a person is off hiding, they're not repentant. Okay, so restitution, um, repentance always gives birth in a person's to desire to be right with the people that their sin is injured. And then number five, revival towards God. You know, he says these things. What, what fear, you know, what longing, what fear he's talking about here is an attitude of worship towards God. The longing, you know, that's where church, you know, church is not a chore anymore, you know. You know, man, I was just going to church for so long and, I just used to go through the motions and, and, and now I'm there and I'm not looking at my watch the whole time that that guy's up there preaching anymore. And, and when the singing comes, I actually want to abandon my plans for the day and just actually focus on and be grateful to and listen to and exalt the king. And um, I look forward to getting there and being there. That's a zeal and that's a longing because you've repented of some things. And, and, and when that happens... When you've repented like that and that thing is, the, the Spirit of God comes washing over your life and it can be fresh and new. I think you maybe remember when that happened, when, you, when the lights first came on and you thought, oh, I was lost, but I've been found and this thing of the Holy Spirit would wash upon you and fresh repentance can bring you back to that place. You know, and I think maybe for some of us, you know, we could use a refreshing because it, maybe it's been a long time. And God's response to, Repentance is revival towards Him, and then the last characteristic is moving forward and not looking back. You know, the Scripture there tells us that the, that worldly grief produces regret. Why am I like this? You know, why do I do this? When am I going to change? What? You know, I'm, I'm I'm sick of all this. That's not repentance. That's that's worldly sorrow. Because real repentance sets you free from the chains of things like you know oh, my life's gone by, I wish I could do it so differently, I wish I would have made, I wish I could have gone back to college, I wish I could have picked a different spouse, I wish I could have, you know, go back and finish some... That's not regret. I mean, that's, Excuse me, that's regret, that's not taking you anywhere, that's, that's not godly. And, and so repentance sets you free from these chains and moves you on to what God has for you now. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, you know, you suffered no loss through us, Verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So, and we're getting towards the end of our review. Repentance is the first step in all change. It's not easy. And then this last one, number three, is repentance sometimes is impossible. Sometimes it's actually impossible. We're in Hebrews 12 and... um, This is the story about, um, it's recanting a story about a guy named Esau. I won't re-preach this, um, but he gave away his birthright for a bowl of stool. Stew. (laughs) Stew. Okay. You can read about that um, in Hebrews 12. But but he gave away something really really spiritual and precious just because he wanted to satisfy his tummy for a moment. And um, okay, so Hebrews twelve seventeen. For you know that afterward, when Esau desired to inherit the blessing, it's always afterward, isn't it? You know, it's it's always afterward. Afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Now, those are some very scary words landing here in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 9 uses that same word and translates it as disqualified. Same word is translated in Romans 1. It says reprobate. It means spurn, abhor, cast away. He was rejected. And you can come to a place sometimes where it's impossible to repent. You can come to the place where God won't strive with you anymore, scripture says. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears, he wanted to repent, and it was too late. It's kind of scary if you're if you're someone who comes to church um maybe you've been coming to church maybe you're you know you're you're young and you come and maybe you've been coming here for decades, and you just kind of endure the house of the Lord, or you've only come because someone has kind of drug you in, and they would make your life more difficult for you if you didn't come. So you come to prevent that, and so you get dragged here, and you're just really not engaging with the King, and um, you're doing instead, you're doing your own thing in life, you know, and you think to yourself, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll get right with God when I'm good and ready. I, I'm, I'm doing my thing right now. I'm going to sort my life out someday. And if I have to, I'll cry out at the very end. I'm just going to do my own thing. That's really, really about as dangerous an attitude as you could possibly have. Jesus taught, and these are the words of Jesus, that no one comes to me unless the Spirit draws him. Unless the Spirit of God draws you, you can't move towards God. And for people who think, well... I'm just going to get to God when I'm good and ready. The problem is you will get to a place where you don't care. You'll get to a place where you couldn't care, where it's nothing to you anymore. And when that happens, when that is in in your heart, that will will be the place that shows you that the Lord has stopped striving with you. It's so scary. Psalm 103, that's 103.9. He says, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. That's why Paul quoted a psalmist from when he, in Hebrews 3, where he said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And that's a great warning, because if God can still stir something in your heart, if you still care, if, if these matters are of interest to you, that's a really good sign. That's a really good sign. But if you're, you know, sitting there thinking, you know, when is Pastor Terry just going to shut up? <laughs> you know, I got to get out of here. If in your heart you're thinking this is worthless to me, that's a really bad sign. Repentance isn't easy. Sometimes it's impossible. So it leads us to the question for today: is how do I repent? How do I do it? Okay, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, which is the prodigal son. By which by the way, time out. I. I'm I'm so grateful that you're back today, Kyle. <laughs> it's a it's a prodigal son joke. Okay, so um, as you know, Pastor Kyle um, was uh, on our team here, one of our pastors, and Jill. Good to see you too, sweetie. And. We've missed you too, and we know the Lord um, is doing great things in your life. And so, our typical worship is led by um, somewhere within the Williams clan, uh, Pastor Eric Williams and his son Alec Williams, both who lead worship here, are at a wedding in Royal City, wherever that is. But it's not here. So, um, so uh, we got the blessing of having Kyle join us again and lead. You did a great job, by the way. I was just, I, I miss you again all over. You've opened up the wound. So since, So since we're going to talk about the prodigal son, you pay attention to this. <laughs> this is, he is the furthest thing from a prodigal son. He's just as someone who's gone away, and it's good to see you back, both of you. Again, today, we love you. And we're praying for you and we believe in you both, and, and um, it's just really good to have you lead up front. Thanks for being here. So anyway, today, um, Prodigal son, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And this is a story about a guy who was a young man in his teens, probably. And um, this is a story that's being told by Jesus. So picking up in verse 11, and and, and Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. I'm tired of living here. I don't like you. I don't like this place. I don't like your rules. Just I want what's mine, and I'm out of here. That's what this guy is saying. And so his father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, there's so much in that paragraph that it doesn't say. If you're a parent and you've had a child say, I'm out of here, and they're gone, and you don't know what's going on in their lives, you know, you think of the dark places that he had to have gone to and the awful things that he had to have seen and... and um, and experienced. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, it always comes to that. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now it's hard for us to really understand here how hard this was on this guy um, because in their culture, this is about as low as it gets. They were unclean, spiritually, ceremonially unclean, if they even touched a pig, and he's out there feeding them. I mean, I like bacon. <laughs> Too much. But, okay, so he's, he has dropped, the, the floor has opened up, and he's dropped as deep as he can go. He's not in a good shape here. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods. He wanted to eat the pig food that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. That's something worth underlining in your Bible. No one gave him anything. That doesn't mean that people hated him. That means that the Lord had squeezed into a place where the Lord was preventing him from getting outside help. And the Lord does that sometimes if that's what it takes to get to a heart to the parents of prodigal children, this has got to be one of the most painful things that any parent could come to. Where, you know, the parent has to think, you know, we're not going to give him anything now. We're not going to give her anything now. You know, we, we, we would, if we did that, we would be protecting them from the, con- we would be harming the Lord's ability to put the weight on, upon them of their own bad choices. And, and and for a parent to look at that and to know that they have to let their child go to ruins. Those are dark nights for a parent. I mean <laughs> I've read this story so many times and I used to think oh there's so many I love the celebration at the end and the more times I read it the more times I think that the father was the hero of the story because he didn't do something which made him really the hero. And it was really, really hard. Because I don't think this man would have ever turned around the way he's about to in the story If, if dad had said, hey, 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 I know you're out of here, but send me a postcard. If you need anything, I'm there for you. I'll send it to you. I think if dad had done that, you know, just only because his father wouldn't be able to live with seeing his son suffer. But our Heavenly Father isn't like that. So no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but it says, but when he came to himself, I'm gonna stop right there for a minute. I'm gonna pray for parents in case you have a prodigal. I hadn't planned this, but I think let's just pray uh, for each other. God, um, it is a hard thing as a parent to pour life into a child and to make mistakes along the way. But Lord, we love our kids and there comes a place where they are—they make their own determinations in life and it's hard to watch them make decisions that will hurt them. Grant to us mercy, Lord, and grant to them mercy. We pray, Lord, for you to accomplish in us what you want to accomplish in us And I know you're going to do that in our children as well. Build in us a faith to see in you, Lord, when it is that we send the postcard and when it is we lovingly cry with them and over them, but we don't hand them something. Lord, I want to pray for mercy in hearts today that are maybe breaking in this room about their child. Fill them with hope and with life. Show them how to pray. Grant them insight and patience. Grant to us, Lord, wisdom that our children would need in those moments. But more than that, Lord, grant to them heavenly quality love for our kids whatever that needs to be in the name of Jesus. Amen. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, there we go, verse 17. This is repentance. Okay, repentance is it starts right here in the mind. He came to himself. I think, you know, some maybe some of us have been living so far from God, you know, life has become twisted we've been making awful choices. If other people in this room maybe could see where you've been this week or what you've seen this week, you you would look at that and be so ashamed. If that's you, you need to repent. You need to let the love of God put a light into your soul and help you make that change. And the first thing is he came to himself. This guy had been feeding pigs thinking, I want to eat their food. And suddenly he's like thinking, "I don't want this for my life. This is—I don't want to go here. I don't want to be this person. What am I doing? What am I thinking? How how did I get here? I I never thought I'd be here. I don't want to end up like this." And there's this reality moment that comes where the, you know, the mirage of pleasure dissolves into this this reality of ruin. And for him it happened as he was feeding the pigs. What's it going to be for you? Verse 17, and he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? This is crazy. This is, I'm in a hole. But but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And here it is. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, he was so big. Hey, give me what's mine. <laughs> I'm out of here. And now he's like, you know, I don't even deserve to be a part of this family. I, I, I don't even deserve to be treated like a son. Treat me, he says, treat me as one of your hired servants. I'll just sleep in the barn, you know. I'll just be your slave. You'll sleep in the barn, you know. Before, the house wasn't even good enough for you. Yeah, but I've changed. I'm not that person. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I've had this change of emotion. Repentance involves, one, a change of the mind, and now number two, it has a change of emotion, the feelings. I think differently. I feel differently about who I am. Before, nobody could get through to me. You know, Nobody could get my attention. <laughs> now I see how wrong I was. Verse 18, I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, and then he does, and this is this awesome moment that's going on. This parent's going, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And if you're, you know, okay, so it involves the mind, it involves emotion, repentance also, and this is, above everything else, it involves the will, (laughs) the will. A person who is truly repentant is forming a plan if you're really repentant. In fact, you know, if you're truly repentant, you're doing this right now while I'm preaching. You're already thinking through, you've got this plan of action. Okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to make these changes. I'm going to handle it this way. I'm going to go and talk to her. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to go put things right. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to apologize fully. I'm going to completely, I'm going to own it. I'm going to take the blame. You know, that's repentance. mind and emotions and then the will. The will, you know, I feel differently about it in my mind and I feel differently about it in my emotions and and in my will. And if you're serious about changing, it's just not easy. (laughs) You know, you might be in a pretty deep hole. This guy, he had to literally get out of a pig pen, the lowest place he could be in his culture, clean himself up, and then go offer and ask for the promotion to becoming a slave to his father. It can do some pretty radical stuff. And that's what repentance does. Will radically change your mind and your emotions and your will. You know, it's not a, a repentance is not a change of scenery. It's not a change of marriage partners. Reparent, it's not a, not a change of churches. It's not, it's not where the environment around you changes. It's a change in me. It's a change in my mind. It's a change in my, my emotions, and it's a change in my will. So finally, what are the fruits of repentance? I mean, fruit? There's fruit from repentance? Okay, yes, Scripture says, Luke 3, 8 says, produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. In other words, when repentance is happening on the inside, you know, when the root is healthy, there's going to be some fruit. You'll be able to tell whether a person has repented. Or you'll be able to tell whether you've repented. So there are some actions that will show up because of true repentance. If a person is truly repentant, there are actions that will follow. And this is probably the most important part of the message today. Here are some of those actions that we will notice when there's true repentance. Number one is the absence of rationalization. The absence of ration- I mean, A truly repentant person is not rationalizing anymore. There's no excuses. There's no explaining. You know, well, you know, you got to know my mom. Or <laughs> you don't know what I've been through. Okay, those things may be true. But the repentant person is done with excuses. They're done. They're done with the things that make it easy to sin. You know, I don't want excuses anymore. I've I, I knocked them down. I can move on now. I can move forward and I'm with the right behavior. There's no more rationalization. You know, sin continues in the heart if, if the, the explanation has not withered. As long as the explanation is growing and flourishing in the heart... Repentance cannot flourish. It can't grow. No more excuses, no more explanations, no equivocation. I want to take just a minute about apologies, if I can do that, you know. There's only one apology that gets a passing grade. Okay? Only one. <laughs> That's it. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I have no excuses. Please forgive me. That's it. Nothing else. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I have no excuse for this. Please forgive me. That. That's it. Here are some failing apologies. <laughs> okay? <laughs> All right. Other, every, other, every other apology than that one are pathetic. Pathetic. Everybody say the word pathetic. 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 Say it like you mean it. Pathetic. pathetic. Okay. All right. So I'm going to give you some examples of some pathetic apologies. Okay, here's one. If I hurt you, I'm sorry. Path- Come on, pathetic. pathetic. If I hurt you, if, weren't you, where were you a minute ago in this room when I told you that you hurt me? If, there's no if, there's only a when, right? Don't ask if. <laughs> That's pathetic. All if, 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 are pathetic. Here's another one. I'm sorry I hurt you, but that was not my intent. Pathetic, pathetic. thank you very much. Okay, that, that apology, way to go. It is pathetic. That apology, here's what that apology is like. Listen, I'm sorry that I hurt you, but I want you to notice how noble I am. I didn't mean to hurt you. Notice my nobility. I'm sorry I hurt you, but I'm really noble. I didn't mean to. Pathetic. That's a pathetic apology. I'm sorry I hurt you, that was not my intent. That's a world away from true repentance. And I hear, Here's... Here's the one that that can be the worst. I'm sorry that you got hurt. Translation I'm sorry that you're so lame and you're so weak that my itty bitty minor little tiny, tiny problem hurt you. You weak, pathetic person. That is a pathetic apology. I'm sorry that you got hurt. There's only one apology to reflect a truly repentant heart. And that means there's only one apology that God can really use to rebuild your relationship. I'm sorry. It's by fault, I don't have any excuse. Please forgive me. And that sincere, if it's sincere, it's not an incantation. I'm not here to teach you incantations, right? I'm not here to teach you a magic formula. But that, if it's sincerely held when you say that, that will ignite something that restores your relationship. You'll see it, you'll feel it, you can taste it. Okay, so absence of rationalization. The second fruit will be genuine sorrow. Genuine sorrow. You know, Whether there's tears or no tears, as long as there's sorrow. Esau, he had tears, but he was unrepentant. So, you know, genuine heartfelt sorrow. Number three, open confession of sin. People who are not repentant, they hide it and they cover it. Now, I'm not saying you broadcast it to the world, but there is an appropriate audience for your repentance. And it depends on your circumstances. If you're the person repenting, you may not be the best judge of who the audience is. So be careful. And if you're not sure, you need to go to someone you trust that's godly and mature to help you figure that out. But there's a place. I mean, David hid his sin of adultery and murder for a year. Okay? And that was wrong. And then, but though, then he didn't hide it. I mean, there was a point then where he, scripture says that he, you know, he put on sackcloth and ashes and he repented in front of everybody. So a repentant person doesn't hide it. Number four, restitution. Restitution. Now, there are a whole boatload of scriptures all throughout this book where God teaches his principle and he says, you know what? I expect you to make things right. God lays out his expectations. You're not going to be right with God until you're right with the person you've wounded. As best as you can. If you've injured somebody, you've got to make it right with them. And, um, you know, bringing... I want to say this about repentance because we're wrapping up now and we're going we're to have communion. Bring, bringing people to a place of genuine repentance, you know, leading this in a church, it's messy. This is messy business because, you know, I, I can just tell you behind the scenes... Um, uh, the other pastors and I and probably many other leaders in the church who minister to people, you know, you deal sometimes with some pretty stubborn-hearted people. We do sometimes. And I can be that too. And it can get messy. I mean, it's like, um, this is challenging stuff here. And I think... A lot of churches don't go to this place because the word repentance is not a, <laughs> a popular thing to teach on. But I'm persuaded. I really believe that because of the mercy of God, that we can be a church that can be genuine and sincere as we deal with issues like this and, 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 and we can grow. So here's what I'm ask, going to ask of you now. This is a point of privacy. It's not for anybody to nudge you and say, hey, did you catch this? If you're doing that, shame on you. Stop it. This is the time for you to, between you and the king, if he's been talking to you about your anything on the list or something that w- didn't make the list, this is the time. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come on up now. Um, and this is the time for you, and, and um, I just want to give just a moment for you to s- just deal with the spirit in your heart about your own sins and, and be, say to the Lord, you know, it's my mind. What about in my mind, Lord? What about in my way of thinking? That's not where I want to go. And as you're now allowing the Lord to start something that's fresh in you about reshaping your heart and your emotions and your will, there will start to form in you also a plan of action, something that you can do to get to the place that God can use to shape you and to restore what needs to be restored. So um, uh, I'm going to ask if we could have the communion elements now. Are they ready? So here are the instructions I'm going to give to you. First, let me explain to you. um, We're going to pass these out. Hold on to them, okay? So um, if you guys want to come on up and pass them out right now. So so just take take them and hold on to them. Communion... um, the Lord's Table is something that we make available to all who call on the name of Jesus. So if the Lord He's your Savior, this is you to receive the, the the body and the blood of Christ. The Lord made provision to heal you and for your salvation. And um, there's an incredible measure of grace that's, being, that's involved in this. And um, we're going to go through a song just briefly one time. And normally we would say, okay, I would explain about communion. Hold on to your elements. And I would explain it and then I would pray and then we would receive and then I would explain and I would pray and we would receive. I'm going to explain it all at once and then I'm going to ask you while you're still seated as we go through this song, it's only going to be for a minute or so, that you decide when the time is right. Then you just go ahead and thank the Lord privately, quietly and receive on your own. And what you hold in your hands, and I, you know what, I need something too. When, they get, when you get done with the room, you know, if you could get me a cup and a bread. Um, the bread is representative of the Lord's broken body. Just before Jesus went to the cross, thank you. Thanks so much. Just before he went to the cross, um, he got together his disciples, and he basically, it was his last staff meeting. What would you talk to your close confidants and friends if you knew you were going away forever? Thanks, darling. Thanks, darling. I don't call every woman darling, but I call my wife darling. Thanks, honey. Um, if you're a guest, I don't want you to think I'm hitting on some woman in the church. I am hitting on my wife. It's okay to do that. <laughs> you know, I say stuff, and they laugh because you roll your eyes. I don't blame you. <laughs> oh, look at that. Laser stare. You can't win no matter what you do. Okay, move on, Terry. So... um I love my wife but I'm real distractible can you tell so he got his staff together and what would you tell them if it was your last chance you're going to go and be put to death and you know it his message with them was this look I'm laying down my body now it's going to be broken I'm doing it because I love people I'm going to pay the price I'm the place where all healing comes from I'm the place where the heavens and the earth were created. I'm going to lay my body down and be broken for you. And then he said, the cup is representative of my blood. And that's not meant to be cannibalistic. None of this is. It's symbolic. Scripture teaches that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. And Jesus is saying, I'm the perfect sacrifice. I've never sinned. And I freely give my life as a sacrifice for every person who's broken, who's broken, And we're all broken. He says, for every person who's broken, they don't even know they're broken and I love them so much I'm doing this. Although this is grape juice, it's representative of the broken body of Jesus and salvation. That's what this is representative of and a lot more. And so we invite you when when you come to that moment to say, okay, thank you, Jesus. That's all it takes. Thank you, Jesus. And receive. That's all. It's not a religious act. It's a relational act. And I encourage you to be relational with your Savior just at some moment in the next couple of, couple of verses of the song.